0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host Grace and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book related, author related, any news or events going on in the book world And of course, discuss a quarter or a half of our monthly book club pick, which this month and the one that we're talking about this week is the five star weekend by Ellen Hilderbrand. This is our final book club discussion for June. I hope you all had a great time listening. This has been all this has been tough this month. I've had a lot going on socially and in my life. And reading two books, I'm going to be honest, it was a bit more difficult than I thought. I've talked about that the whole way through. Um, And they were both softer picks, I will say. So if you have not been following along, the first book that we read this month was... God, I had to think about that for a second. It was Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez, but I read that in May. (laughs) Like this was what that was I'm like still like reeling. I'm like, okay, what did we read? Like what is going on? So the first book we read this month was Part of Your World by Abby Jimenez. I read that about a month ago. Amazing. And now the second book that we talked about and that we read was The Five Star Weekend by Ellen Hildebrand. So our final discussion of that pick Will be today at the end of this episode or the second half of this episode. And I do have quite a bit to say, or maybe I don't. What I will say with Ellen Hildebrand's books and books that are really pretty standardly or like pretty solidly a beach read, um, there's not a lot to digest. Like, there's not a lot of like theories to talk about or. Um, like what would you have done in this situation? It's pretty much like a strict like character piece where all these women are kind of just like doing their own thing. And we can kind of judge the women and be like, oh my gosh, like who's your favorite character, whatever. But I still think that this sort of book is really, really hard to talk about solo on a podcast. Um, not something I thought about when I put the choices out there, but still really happy we read it because I think it's going to be one of those books that really makes its are its rounds this summer as a really solid, great Beach read. Um, And if you missed it, our book for July, we are just going back to the one book schedule as it was a lot for me. And I'm also not going to be uploading four times. I'm only going to be uploading two times. Um, I think that'll end up working out a little better for me. So we'll read half of the book and I'll do an episode on that. And then we'll finish the book and I'll do an episode on that. The book that we are reading is The Only One Left by Riley Sager. Um, So really excited about that. Another thriller. Riley Sager is an amazing thriller author. And I've just been a huge fan of him since I joined Bookstagram and found out about his books. I'll talk a little bit more about Riley Sager when we um, go into The Only One Left. I definitely want to talk about like my author ranking, my favorite books of his. Um, I'm really excited to read another thriller because it has been a while. So this is the final episode of June, which is so crazy. We are halfway through the year. You guys, absolutely, I cannot, I'm mind boggling. I am mind boggled. I am bamboozled. It is crazy that we're already halfway through the year. There is still so much that I want to accomplish this year, but I've read a lot of great books. So there's not too, too much going on book related that I wanted to talk about the book of the month releases I was hoping were going to be released by today. I'm recording this on Wednesday, June 28th, But it doesn't look like they are. So I'll be talking about those in the first episode of July, which is totally fine. It's cool. It happens. Instead, I wanted to talk about all the books that I've rated five stars this year. Um, and I don't have them in any specific order because I only make my top 10 list at the end of the year, because who knows what I'm going to end up rating a five-star pick or not. So I wanted to talk about all the books that I'm reading, or I have rated five stars for the first half of this year of 2023. So I'm opening up my Goodreads. We're going to talk about that. Then I did finish The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. It was not a five-star read for me. That's okay. It happens. But I will talk about that a little bit. And then we will get into the second half of the five-star weekend by Ellen Hilderbrand. So, so far this year, I have read 31 books, which feels pretty decent. I'm usually right around the 60, 65 mark for the end of the year. So I'm pretty much right on track. I had my book goal for the year to read 70 books, but I just don't think that that, uh, you know what? No. I'm not going to say that. I think that is very attainable and something I could very well hit. You know, I had a few slow months this year, and that's okay. But I'm sure I'm going to have a few slow months for the second half of the year as well. That's still okay. Anyway, let's talk about the books I've rated five stars starting with The One by John Mars. I talked about this a lot on the podcast. One of my all-time favorite thrillers, definitely of the year, if not of all time. I think it is so, so good. I enjoyed literally every second of it. Um, One of the main things that sticks out to me about this book is that a lot of books claim to have like a twist on every page, but they don't live up to that sort of thing. This one literally does live up to that. There was a twist on every single page. Um, I left every chapter truly shocked. If you have not read the one by John Mars and you're a thriller fan, pick it up. It is so good. Five stars for sure. The next book that I rated five stars was These Impossible Things by Salma L. Wardney. as I sit on this one. So this is something to talk about a little bit, I guess. Sometimes you leave a book and you're like, okay, that was totally five stars. I loved it. But now I'm looking back and I'm like, I loved it that much. Like, I don't even remember too, too much about it. And on the opposite end, sometimes I'll rate a book like three and a half, four stars. And then I'll sit on it and be like, wait, this one's really sitting with me, really sticking with me. I feel like as I sit on it, I would actually put it higher. That can happen. But a lot of the times I'll end up just sticking with what my initial feeling was when I finished the book. Because sometimes a book will just give you that feeling that now I I don't really remember how I was feeling as I finished These Impossible Things. But clearly, I absolutely loved it because to get a five star from me means it has something a little extra, a little push that can make it from that 4.5 up to that five star read. Um, It could be anything. It could be good characters, a good plot, a good, you know, writing style. But whatever it was, these Impossible Things definitely um, definitely lived up to the hype, if that makes sense. So I'm looking at my Goodreads review, and it was really great. I love a story focusing on female friendships and growing up, and that is what this book is at its heart. I do remember this. It almost felt like a grown-up sister to The Traveling Pants, which was one of my favorite books as a teen. I also really enjoyed learning about the culture in this book, um, and a lot of it just had my head spinning and made me so angry I love books about generational trauma and certain traditions um, in these cultures. So really good. I love A Found Family, and that is what this one was about. It was really good. But anyway, I stand by what I said about five-star reads sometimes. However, one I know that I absolutely loved and still gives me the warm and fuzzies was Sam by Allegra Goodman, which was my next five-star read. It had me from the very first page. And if I'm being completely honest, this book had me before I even picked it up. This was one of Read With Jenna's book club picks this year. I can't remember what month it was, I think January. Um, but when she was describing it and when I read the synopsis and I also read the first page like in Target, um, it had me. Allegra Goodman's writing style is just like chef's kiss. Amazing. It reminded me of authors like Lily King, Allison Larkin, Emma Straub. Um, I love their writing style and Allegra Goodman just fits right in this one was just so beautiful um I said right when I in my Goodreads review this review this was the fastest I have read a book consecutively in a very long time I also really resonated with so much of the story I grew up with divorced parents myself one of which struggled with addiction like Sam's own father so the story was just incredibly powerful so many amazing characters in this book, but the writing specifically really stood out to me and is what made this book incredible. I read a lot of books that some people like wouldn't enjoy and they're more just like life pieces. You know, there's no big twists. I love a twist, but there's no big powerful plot. But sometimes certain authors can just nail writing so beautifully that I am just enthralled with it. And this one did it for me and I would read it again. It was so, so good. The next book I rated five stars was We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. Um, I've talked about this one a lot on here, and I said it again in my Goodreads review. I don't know what it was about this book, but I absolutely fell in love with it from page one. Again, I was really drawn to the writing style and how descriptive it was. This would make an absolutely fantastic movie, and I would love to create a fan casting of my own. This felt so realistic, so real, so raw. The characters of the Brennan family were so easy to relate to and love. It was told from so many multiple points of view. Like it was, there was a million different characters in it, but it it was a little hard to get into, I feel like at first, but it had me from the very first page. I loved the high school flashbacks, how real it all was. It really focuses mainly on the depth of the characters, but because of the writing style and how remarkably well it's done, I was sucked into the world and I really, really loved it. The next book that I rated five stars was one reread for the podcast, um, All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham, one of my favorite thrillers i've ever read one of my favorite thrillers of the year and forever um it really really kept me guessing the whole time and in my opinion it's like the perfect thriller and for me it's really hard to rate a thriller five out of five because so many of them follow the same construct of like what a thriller is but this is my second thriller i rated five stars this year the first being the one by john mars this is the second um I never knew who to trust with this one. We all heard me talk about this in depth, so I don't want to go too, too much into it. But I really, really love the whole overarching theme throughout this book about the pressure society puts on women and mothers. Um, I know that Ashley Audrain does that with the push and the whispers, which I'll get into a little bit later, but this was just done on a whole other level. It was just so thrilling, never once boring. There were so many plots going on at once, and I had so many questions throughout that could hardly ever be answered or guessed. Did not guess a lot of the twists, and it was just so good. And I know so many of you loved it, loved it, loved it too. The next book I rated five stars was The Grace Year by Kim Leggett. This has been, or this was on my TBR for almost two full years, Um, And I was, I'm just so happy I finally picked it up. Again, one of those books that I started really, really early in the morning and finished it late at night, barely stopping to take a break because I loved it. It completely brought me back to when I first read The Hunger Games in high school and not being able to put that one down. And I just wish there was a second book just like there was of The Hunger Games. It was so good. I I can pretty much tell when a book is going to be five stars. Um, because I can tell about the writing style and the characters from the very first page. I was truly drawn into Tyranny's World, the main character of this book from page one. Um, if you like The Handmaid's Tale, The Hunger Games, incredible. Like I personally don't know if I've ever read a 400 page book in one day and I was so sad when it was over, but total five stars for me. The next book I rated five stars was another one for the One Woman Book Club. Amazing. If you haven't guessed, it is Wayward by Amelia Hart. I am so happy I read this book. I don't understand the mixed reviews. Um, I feel like all of us who read it for the podcast really, really loved it. It is just done so incredibly well. Another one that I don't really need to get into too much detail about, the writing. And I'm realizing that that kind of is sometimes what puts a book over the edge for me. I can love characters, I can love a plot, I can love a description, whatever, but it's the writing. If the writing is top-notch, I'm probably it's gonna put it over the edge to the five star for me. I loved all three storylines in this. I love the historical fiction aspect, I loved the strong female women storyline, I loved the bond between the women, and of course I love the magical realism. I love a hint of magical realism. It was just sprinkled all within these pages, and it made it so extra special for me. Um, Loved it so much. The next book that I rated five stars will be a surprise to no one. Happy Place by Emily Henry. The best Emily Henry book yet. Literally, she outdid herself with this one. Wynn is my favorite book boyfriend of the year, and that is comparing him to the man from Part of Your World that I am now completely blanking on his name, but I'm sure I'll talk to soon. I could not get enough of this book. I love the setting, of course, because I'm from Maine. If you have not read this book yet, you need to read it. It is so, so much fun, you guys. There is chemistry. There is passion. Amazing friendships found. Family, an incredible setting. Fake dating. Tension. Incredible. I don't even need to hype this one up, though, because it's been hyped up so, so much. But definitely read it if you have not. And the next book I rated five stars was Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. And this one, of course, took me by surprise because I'm not typically a fantasy fan, as many of you know. But this one really, really did it for me. Another one just like Happy Place that I do not need to convince you to read. Um, So sad it's over. Cannot wait for November, which is honestly coming up soon. Um, I'm so glad we don't have to wait too, too long for this. Pick this book up, even if you're not a fantasy fan you will most likely enjoy this book especially because i can tell from you know other tiktoks or bookstagrammers that this one is really targeted for a beginner fantasy reader incredible loved it so much Then I read I rated part of your world by Abby Jimenez five stars and this was for our June book club pick like I just talked about how cool that three books for our book club I have rated five stars. I feel like that's a really good track record since we just started in February. So I feel great about that. This really is the perfect romance you guys. It was another one that I started at 2 p.m. finished at 10 p.m. only stopped to eat dinner and again it just felt like there was magic sprinkled within the pages It was so, so good. Daniel is the name of the character that I loved. Their chemistry was so raw and real. Daniel is a true dream. I don't need to talk about this one too much, but I was giddy, giddy with love for this book. In the last book this year that I have read that I have rated five stars was Adelaide by Genevieve Wheeler. I actually just posted my full review of this on Bookstagram, so if you haven't seen that, Definitely go check it out. I cannot believe this that this was a debut novel by Genevieve Wheeler. I cannot wait to read more by her. And once again, it falls into that category of books that feel like Sam by Allegra Goodman. Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance by Alison Espad. The People We Keep by um, Alison Larkin. Feels like an Emma Straub book. Very, very, very similar, descriptive, raw, emotional, real writing style that I am just obsessed with. So accurate to what it feels like to be in your 20s. That relationship between Adelaide and Rory was so complex and so heartbreaking and emotional. Adelaide is a character we can all root for and one that we can really all find ourselves in. Um, If you have not read this one and you're in your 20s or any age and you can remember what it was like to be in your 20s, this is the book for you. So let's count up how many books I rated five stars this year. All right, we have The One, These Impossible Things. Sam, We Are the Brennans, All the Dangerous Things, The Gracier, Wayward, Happy Place, Fourth Wing, Part of Your Worlds, and Adelaide. 11. I've rated 11 books, five stars so far this year. That's really good. I feel really good about that. That's over two a month. Am I stupid? Oh, God. It's been six months. No, it's just about. Yeah, clearly. No, I'm not stupid. But anyway, can't do math that's just under two five star reads a month. That's incredible. I know it hasn't worked out to be like that. I know that some months I've read more five star reads than others. But whatever, that's an amazing track record. I hope you guys are all reading books that you love this year, because that is the point of reading. That's the point of reading as an adult to read the books you love. So I hope you guys have been reading some amazing five star reads, and hopefully some of them have been for this podcast. Before we get into the five star weekend discussion, the book that I finished this week that I wanted to chat with you all about was The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. I ended up reading this about a three and a half. It was fine. There was nothing absolutely spectacular about it. Let me read my Goodreads review for you guys. Um, It was a super enjoyable thriller slash contemporary fiction pick. But despite it being super bingeable, it fell a bit flat for me. I was able to guess the big twist pretty early on. And like I always say, if I can predict a twist and it's really good, I'll still enjoy it but for me, this twist wasn't that crazy. It was super obvious for a while and overall just really sad. If you've read it, you know. What I enjoyed the most were the characters. Whitney is one of the most awful characters I've ever read, but I did still enjoy reading about her. Every decision she did make and every word she spoke was pure evil. I am very happy with that final page. If you did read it, again, if you know, you know. I really enjoyed reading about Rebecca the most and loved her so much. I felt so incredibly bad for her and the loss of her children, and I can only help things get better for her. Again, no spoilers, but if you know, you know. Um, Please look up trigger warnings for this one because it was very descriptive and really hard to read at some points. Um, The pacing was really good, and it kept my intention the entire time. It was juicy and salacious, and Ashley Audrain's writing is really great, I did also enjoy the way Audraine explored the struggles of motherhood in all of its forms. But all in all, it just kind of fell a bit flat for me. It wasn't anything remarkable. The last page and the last line in classic Ashley Audraine fashion was super cool, super great, but not enough to totally save this one for me. But it was still really fun and I enjoyed myself. So And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. That is it. Um, so I'll finish the month with five books, Saturday Night Lakeside Supper Club, Stone Cold Fox, Adelaide, The Whispers, and The Five Star Weekend. So let's get into our final discussion of The Five Star Weekend by Ellen Hildebrand. As always, if you have not finished the book, do not keep listening if you do not want anything to be spoiled because we are about to dig on into everything that happened and this is where all the drama really came out and I am so ready to start discussing with you guys if you don't care about spoilers. That's cool. Just know that they are coming. Let's get through my chapter by chapter notes and then get into my final thoughts. All right, so we left off on chapter 23, Rye Toast. And I took notes on chapters 23 and 24. So, like we suspected last time, Hollis follows Tatum to get breakfast with Jacob. Okay, (laughs) Kyle, his name isn't Jacob. And I'm really sorry if I continuously say Jacob within my notes because I was reading Jacob. His name is Jack. Hollis's high school boyfriend is named Jack. And I feel like I talked and said his name was Jacob even in the last podcast. And to be honest, as I'm recording this, I don't even know is his name Jack or Jacob. It's Jack. So I'm sorry. I am going to try to correct myself as I read through my notes. And anytime I wrote Jacob, say Jake. But if I slip, just know that I'm going to hate myself as I edit this. Anyway, Hollis follows Tatum to get breakfast with Jack and Kyle. There is definitely some flirtiness going on between Jack and Hollis, and I honestly really like him. He seems so sweet and like he really cares for Hollis. Then the boys tell them they went out on the town and hung around with Tatum's boss of all people, and she starts crying. Now... Obviously her emotions are heightened because of the biopsy results and you guys know i'm a tatum fan But this did seem a little far-fetched to me My loyalty to tatum continued to fade when the girls all met back up in the convertible to drive home Tatum and drew Ann had a little tiff and it seems like tatum is still holding on to whatever was said about her At the wedding 25 years ago, which we still don't know what it is We do now obviously but as I was writing this we did not know Then Brooke is incredibly excited to talk about the book she got in all of her clothes. And Tatum has the nerve to basically scoff at her and make her feel bad about being excited about those things. Not okay. I literally hate when people look down at you and make you feel embarrassed for being excited about something. Never yuck somebody's yum. So it totally turned me off from Tatum here. I know she's going through a difficult time. Also that Jack broke the news to Hollis about, by the way. Um, But still, it's not a good reason to treat someone you've never met like shit. Team Brooke on this one all the way. Chapters 25 and 26. Caroline reflects on her evening with Dylan while having breakfast on the footbridge when all of a sudden she gets a text from Sophia, Isaac's girlfriend, asking how her weekend is. Why would she be texting her if she didn't know something about their affair? Unless she's trying to plan some sort of a surprise for Isaac. I'm sure we'll find out soon, which we do. In the next chapter, there is a lot of tension between all of the girls. They all go to the beach and Hollis and Gigi have a heart to heart, but Gigi slips and says she was quick to come to Hollis's aid when Matthew died because her long-term partner also died. She came up with an excuse, but I don't think that excuse is going to last very long. Gigi convinced Joanne to stick to her guns and not send out an apology if she doesn't mean it. Druanne just annoys me for some reason, and I can't get past it. I know she didn't mean what she said, but she should probably be doing some sort of damage control right now. She just seems like really rich and full of herself, and it's kind of hard for me to find a lot of redeeming qualities about her. Then my heart continued to ache for Brooke, who felt awful in her bathing suit in comparison to the other women. We've all been there, and the feeling is not good. Side note: I do feel like this book focused a lot on like. How You Feel in a Bathing Suit and Being Really Skinny, which I didn't love. Um, But still, we've definitely all been there. Don't really want to read about it, though, sometimes. Um, She talks about wanting to control her eating and feeling inferior and left out of the friend group. Um, I just really, in the second half of this book, really started to feel for Brooke as it's clear she's just been dragged down in her marriage for so long and so much that she doesn't even know herself. And I just really can't wait for Brooke to find herself which is so funny that I wrote this here. Um, But then I said, but it's not going to happen with her drunk husband showing up at Hollis's door, which happened at the end of this chapter. So let's see where that goes. Chapters 27 through 29. The first chapter here, Drew Ann turns on her phone to find hundreds of missed calls, texts and emails, but none of them from Nick. Phineas is actually in third in the golf tournament, which is surprising to her. And she finds out there's a viral video circling of her online in the clothing store, buying the leather jacket, saying she's going to treat herself. Clearly, her reputation is only going to be getting worse. In chapter 28, Brooke and the gang stand up to Charlie and get him to leave the island. We also get a little insight into how they met at a bar in Massachusetts. Their relationship had never been perfect, but they raised fantastic kids. In chapter 29, Gigi is looking around Hollis's library and finds photos of Matthew, Hollis, and Caroline every year throughout the summers. We found out that that final picture almost didn't happen as the family relationship was strained due to Hollis's blog getting bigger. And clearly Matthew was having the affair and that was causing even more of a strain, but Hollis didn't know about that. Of course, I can understand that Hollis definitely cared about her blog a lot And because of that, her relationships with her family kind of dwindled, but they really didn't seem supportive in the end. And Matthew, remember, was cheating on her, like I just said. So like, what leg does he have to stand on? This all just made me feel really bad for Hollis as all she wanted was her family's support as she finally had something for herself and they just didn't care. Gigi, I can tell, is also getting closer and closer to telling the truth. So I'm wondering where that little part will go next. The next chapter is all about Tatum and Hollis's friendship, and we start to get a little more insight into why it's so strained. Caroline is interviewing all of the girls for the movie, so I'm sure we're going to get a lot of tidbits like this. So we find out that Tatum and Hollis were friends since they were born, as their moms were both kindergarten teachers. When Hollis's mom died, Tatum's mom stepped in and acted like a mother to her. They were best friends all through high school, and I just loved hearing about their 80s escapades. It just sounded so fun. Then when Jack, Kyle, Hollis, and Tatum had all decided to go to UMass Amherst, Hollis got accepted into UNC and decided to go there instead. This made Tatum mad and devastated that their lives were not going to go to plan. This made Tatum mad and devastated that their lives were going to separate. Personally, like speaking from my own experience, I was extremely close with my high school friends. And we never planned to go to the same college. I can imagine if we did and one of them changed their minds, I also would have been devastated because, you know, at that point you're 18 and you can't think of anything other than your town and your friends. And it's really hard to like separate yourself from that. Looking at it from a 28 year old mind, of course, I understand why Hollis left and wish Tatum could have been happy for her as a friend. Um, it's also a little different for me, obviously, because many of my friends and myself really couldn't wait to get out of our hometowns. So that's just my two cents on that. After Hollis left for UNC, she never really came back to Nantucket full time. She meets Drew Ann as her college roommate, and they decide to work at Chili's one summer, instead of Hollis coming back to Nantucket, which is just like a huge mistake. I love Chili's. It's probably my favorite chain restaurant except for Olive Garden but Nantucket are gonna make more money and it's fucking Nantucket you know. Then after years and years Hollis decided to make Tatum her matron of honor Drew Ann her maid of honor which is another devastating blow which I can totally understand. Tatum never had another friend like Hollis but Hollis replaced her quite quickly for a life of seemingly luxury. I understand Tatum's hurt and I'm sure we're only going to hear more about it You know, high school friends can be hard to hold on to as life takes you in different directions, but they're also some of the most dear and closest friends you'll ever have because you grew up together. I was lucky enough to have friendships that pure no matter where they ended up, and I'm very lucky for that and thankful, and I think Tatum will grow to realize that too if she hasn't already. She needs to really let go of her old grudges no matter how hard that can be. Next, we're on to chapters 31 and 32, and in chapter 31, Brooke and Drouanne walk on the beach, and Drouanne gives Brooke a pep talk about leaving Charlie. This leaves Brooke feeling empowered and not as lonely as before, as the girls all seem to like her again. Even though she's scared of leaving him, I really hope she does. In chapter 32, we get the backstory of Drouanne and Hollis's friendship. I enjoy the story of them almost joining the sorority, but then realizing it wasn't for them. And Drew Ann really looked out for Hollis there. Hollis had to quickly lie to Drew Ann and say her mother is alive because she's too afraid to tell the truth about her home life on her very first day of college. They realize they only need each other and go through college as best friends at UNC with their fun traditions. Drew Ann finally finds out about Hollis's mom, um, and that's the only real hiccup in their whole four years together at college, though of course she understands why she lied about it. I kind of wish we got further into their friendship a little bit like we did with Hollis, like what happened when Matthew and Hollis got together, the maid of honor ask, and the planning of the bachelorette parties, though I know we'll get to all of that. And I do like Drew more after hearing a little bit about their friendship, though she does seem to have some rich family members and I still for some reason really can't connect with her as a character. And at this point in the reading that I did of this book, I actually started listening to a big chunk of this next part on audio, which was really cool. So I downloaded Audible for this. Um, So I could listen while I was doing some work, just because I have a lot of reading I want to get done in the next, you know, few weeks. So I wanted to just see if I could get a little bit into audiobooks. And it was really, really fun. So, you know, the narrator is a little bit cheesy, but it is definitely easier to get work and chores done while reading like this. So I did enjoy myself. So getting into chapter 33 in this chapter, all the girls are getting ready in their respective rooms for their outing of dinner and drinking. Hollis continues to get the house ready and contemplates her relationship with Matthew and Caroline. Tatum researches the stages of breast cancer and contemplates what stage hers might be if it is even cancer. She has happy memories of her mom before she passed. And then she texts Kyle a photo of herself and he agrees to meet her while she's out in the town tonight, which obviously makes her happy because he won't be with her boss. Brooke is clamoring for more attention from Gigi and is ecstatic when Gigi wants to spend more time with her. Brooke clearly looks for outside validation to feel good about herself, including from friends she just met. Again, I'm really hoping Brooke can start to love herself on her own without that external validation. Druanne realizes she's been fired from all three of her jobs as she finally checks her voicemail. Not only that, but the crazy lady from down the street is wondering if she wants to put her house on the market. Joanne feels like she's really at rock bottom and takes four shots to try to help her through it. Let's just say I think this night is about to get crazy. In the next chapter, Caroline answers Isaac's call and is sad to realize she's happy to hear his voice. He explains that Sophia is suspicious of what Isaac was up to while she was away, but doesn't quite suspect Caroline yet. She just wants to get the dirt from Caroline and see if there were any women at the home while she was gone. Isaac begs and begs Caroline to cover for him because he wants to stay with Sophia because he loves her, even though he was happy with Caroline. Sophia calls while she's on the phone with Isaac and Isaac tells her to decline because she's been out to lunch with her friends and has probably been drinking. Just then, a text comes in from Sophia asking if she was just on the phone with Isaac. Caroline sentiments that the loneliest place to be is between two people. And you know, I understand that Isaac has Caroline under his spell. This happens to so many women when they get into situations with people in a position of power. I'm just desperate for her to get out of this despite how much she thinks she loves him or loves his work. Dylan just seems so sweet and nice with Orion and I just want them to be together. This is a rom-com so chances are I will get what I want but I am curious to see how all of it is going to play out. Chapter 35 I just have to talk about the music references that Ellen Hildebrand throws into the chapters. We first got one of my all-time favorite songs Fast Car by Tracy Chapman and Then Believe by Cher. This playlist would be iconic if not slightly cringy or crazy. Caroline is finally starting to understand how awful she has been to Hollis. And I'm really happy that she's getting that realization. She finally understands that Hollis lost someone too, when they both lost Matthew. And not only that, but Hollis also had to grow up without a mother and she felt that loss all throughout her life. She realizes that Hollis has always been her constant and the true supporter in her life. She goes up to Hollis's room to get her to come down for happy hour with the girls and they embrace. And Hollis finally has a sense of peace as she realizes she has her little girl back. This is obviously, you know, a very, very complicated relationship with very intense feelings, but I am so happy that we're on the verge of getting the mother-daughter duo back together. Then Caroline arranges the women together to take a photo all before they pile in the car to head out to dinner. Once again, I think the drama is about to ensue. And let me just say, I am ready for shit to hit the fan. I have been waiting. For chapter 36, it is dinner time at Nautilus. Blonde Sharon describing Hollis and the four stars as she walks into the restaurant um, are once again, it was all just very truly cringy. She talks about cute Jack Harlow, sneaky Link, like Ellen, I'm so sorry. I love you, but it's just, it's just getting way, way, way too far Anyway, as the girls are all ordering their food at Nautilus, I can't help but wish that I was there. That food sounds absolutely amazing and a place that I'll have to look up if I ever go to Nantucket. Tatum and Julian sit next to each other, and I have to say that this cannot be good. Then Hollis gets into the story of how her and Matthew met. She's living in a studio in Boston that sounds wonderful, and she's 25 years old and 95. As she's working on a column for a food magazine she sees matthew sitting at the bar of harvard gardens matthew finally gives her the time of day when Hollis starts writing down reviewing the food that she's eating after they talk for a while matthew invites her to his hospital's fundraiser it's a black tie event at the ritz carlton could there be anything more picture perfect for a rom-com it was a little too much for me something that i just realized that we never got a conclusion to that i wrote here who is regency Why did she slip a note under her door after she first met Matthew that said, you were right. It was as easy as shooting fish in a barrel. I said, we still haven't heard anything about Regency, but apparently she lives in her building. And of course, we remember from Tatum's chapter that she was a bridesmaid in Hollis's wedding, though she also hadn't heard of her at that point either. And I finished this book as all of you did. We've never heard about Regency. What kind of a name is that? Was that just like a throw in? It felt like something more was going to come from that. Like maybe Regency knew Matthew. And that's why she slipped the note under the door. Regardless, that was very odd. They have a great date at the fundraiser and Matthew invites her to meet his parents who she clearly woos. They absolutely love her. Gigi then continues to ask questions about Hollis and Matthew's life. She needs to know every detail. She wants to know where it went wrong, what caused Matthew to start having an affair with her and seemingly fall out of love with Hollis, but she's clearly not getting there tonight. Then Gigi asks what work Tatum does, and Tatum feels the women patronizing her when they say that her job as a maid is fun. These women have no idea how privileged they really are. The biggest drama of this chapter comes when Electra Undergrove walks into Nautilus. She is wearing black and white, just like the five stars, and walks right over to their table. She tells Hollis she knew where to go and what to wear because Brooke showed her the itinerary when they met up for drinks the day before. Poor Brooke's world crumbles, and she finds herself scrambling to get back in the good graces of the group. I don't think it's totally going to ruin Brooke's friendship with Hollis, but it's definitely not great for her. Hollis confirms that her and Electra were best friends all while the kids were growing up. What happened between them? Is it possible that Electra had an affair with Matthew? Then, in a turn of events I did not see coming, Electra recognizes Gigi and says that they have met somewhere before, which Gigi vehemently denies. She noticeably gets nervous, and Electra says they've definitely met, especially because she remembers Gigi's accent. Do we think Gigi has been to Nantucket before and ran into Electra with Matthew? Is Electra going to be the one to spill the beans about the affair? Once again, I end this chapter's notes by saying I need the spool to unravel and I need the drama to pick up. Chapters 37 here. It's another one of those chapters where a lot happens, yet nothing really happened at all. After the dramatic dinner, some of the girls don't really feel up to going to the chicken box, which was their next scheduled event. The chicken box side note comes up in a lot of Ellen's books. And I know from seeing TikToks that it is a real place that looks like a lot of fun. Gigi is clearly flustered after the run in with Electra. So she decides on her own to go back to the house. Brooke still wants to go to the box. and Ann hesitantly agrees to go with her. Tatum's off to meet Kyle and Hollis decides to go with her to see Jack. The four catch up for a bit before splitting off into couples. Hollis tells Jack all about her life with Matthew and his death. She says she also used to look at Jack's Facebook page when she and Matthew were having a particularly tough time. They reminisce on one Christmas when they each saw each other in town, but didn't meet up, though they wanted to. And then finally, they share a passionate kiss. I love this relationship. I love all of the history between them, starting with Jack riding his bike all the way out to her house daily at 13 years old to help her dad, all so he could get to see Hollis. Hollis says she knew she was meant to marry Matthew, which I can understand, but I'm hoping she's meant to be with Jack now. Who am I to say if it seems a little too soon after Matthew's passing? It's not like they just met. They have a ton of history and have always truly loved each other. Then they get busted by a cop they both know who was just trying to find kids underage drinking. It's very clear that the two of them have been making out and I'm sure word is going to get around about it then I have the next three chapters 38 39 and 40. In chapter 38, we get a look into what is happening at the box. Caroline enters and immediately sees Dylan who she did not expect to see. But let's be honest, I think we all realized he would be there. They start talking when all of a sudden Brooke and Drew Ann show up. They all do tequila shots and dance. Brooke is branded a MILF by a motley crew of Nantucket fraternity guys and they all just have a fun time. Until when Caroline and Dylan are making out, somehow Aubrey found her way to the box and pours a whole rum and coke on her head. Caroline says he's all yours, psycho, before leaving the bar. Does Caroline actually like Dylan or is she just using him to make Isaac jealous? Clearly she thinks he's hot, but is there anything more? Aubrey called Dylan her baby daddy, but it's clear they're no longer officially together. Does Dylan still love Aubrey? Aubrey. We're going to have to wait and see where this goes, but I'm now more leaning towards the fact that they'll remain friends after that whole encounter. In chapter 39, as the bar closes, Duran and Brooke have to wait close to an hour for an Uber, so they decide to go to the local pizza joint to wait. There, they discuss Charlie's lawsuit. Duran says she's met a lot of guys like Charlie in her life, and basically that Brooke deserves better, even though she's scared. She also said she had a lot of fun with her that night, which Brooke really takes to heart. So much so that she kisses Drew Ann with tongue. I didn't know how I didn't pick up on Brooke's potential gay vibes before. I had a couple of inklings, but it's possible Brooke might actually want to explore her sexuality after ending things with Charlie. Or maybe she's always felt this way deep down. Is it possible she's also just drunk? We'll have to see. They get into their Uber and head home. In chapter 40, we haven't really talked too much about the fact that the dog, Henrietta, really hates Gigi. Gigi packs her bag so she can be ready to leave at a moment's notice. We're still not sure why and what Electra means in all of this. My guess is that Gigi has potentially stayed in Nantucket before, and that's why Henrietta hates her, and that's why Electra says that she has seen her before. Gigi hears all of the girls come home and get some sleep, wondering what tomorrow will bring. What will the fresh day bring? I believe it is their last day in Nantucket. Gigi is going to have to confess, but my guess is we're going to get a very dramatic interaction with Electra. I also think that Drew Ann's work drama is going to blow over. Her boyfriend's daughter will probably confess all of her guilt, and we're going to have to just wait and see here. So in chapter 41, all of the women are waking up for the day in different states. Henrietta, the dog, wakes up a very happy Hollis. Hollis just seems very happy to be alive this morning, and we can only assume that's because of the kiss with Jack. Tatum wakes up still thinking about Hollis and Jack's kiss too, and what that could mean for their friendship. If Hollis moves back to Nantucket full-time to be with Jack, the four of them would be reunited again, just like old times. But she's still incredibly worried about her biopsy results, Why couldn't she have just listened to the voicemail on Friday? Brooke wakes up and we get her answer. Brooke really is a lesbian. And by her kissing Drew Ann last night, that was her coming out. As Drew Ann comments when she wakes up, no wonder no man has ever been able to make her have an orgasm. Brooke feels lighter, although her head is pounding and like she's closer to being the woman she really wants to be, which makes me so incredibly happy for Brooke. When Drouanne wakes up, she has a text from Nick, of all people, that Phineas tied for first in the golf tournament, or he is tied for first right now. She thinks at least it's progress that she has heard from Nick. Caroline wakes up to an incoming call from Sophia. Caroline covers for Isaac like she said she would, and Sophia said her and Isaac together would be ridiculous. We also find out that Dylan texted her last night apologizing for Aubrey, but saying that he's going to try again with her for the sake of their son. Again, this all makes sense. And after the run-in last night, I almost saw it coming. Caroline, I don't think, is really ready for a relationship after ending things with Isaac. In my opinion, she just needs to be alone for a while. Now, I think we're about to get the interview with Brooke about their friendship, which I'm hoping reveals some secrets about Electra. For chapter 42, the first thing I said was, that's the real drama with Electra." Obviously she's definitely a bitch and suddenly kicking Brooke out of the group was truly middle schoolish of her and not nice, but I was definitely thinking it was going to be something bigger, especially for grown women. But I do understand that Electra made the rock and roll football thing very clicky and weird. Also, this is kind of a weird concept, right? However, all in all, I am happy that Hollis was able to ditch Electra as a friend and go with Brooke. And Brooke even realized that part of her hysteria, of no longer being invited, was because of a small crush on Electra she didn't even know she had. Other than that, we don't get too much else about their friendship except that Hollis chose to go on vacation with Brooke instead of Electra, which was her choice in ending that friendship. Caroline realizes she's going to have to interview Gigi after their afternoon sale, and she doesn't think it's possible that Gigi will have a juicier story than the ones the other girls have told. Boy, is she in for a surprise. Chapter 43. Electra is coming in with the drama in this chapter. The girls dress in their pink and orange outfits and go to lunch at a beautiful spot right on the beach that once again, I want to go to. I genuinely need a weekend on Nantucket ASAP. The ladies share food and we get a lot of their this lunch told from a POV of a couple nearby. The woman even hints that she thinks Tatum threw the senior year softball tournament. I have to say, I don't love these little interludes told by supporting characters we'll never hear from again. It's very Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which I enjoyed the first half of, but not the second half with all of the random characters. Like, I'm good if I never hear from blonde Sharon again, and I know I probably won't, but anyway. Druanne sneaks off to the bathroom to watch the golf tournament. Once again, something I really don't care about, Drouanne's storyline is the most boring to me, and when you throw in golf, it just gets more so. Brooke is about to come out to the ladies, go Brooke, when all of a sudden Electra comes over to their table, again dressed in the proper colors for the day. She drops a bomb on the table when she tells the ladies where she remembers Gigi from. She met her in Atlanta. Gigi and Matthew were together coming out of a hotel, and Electra was with her husband. She knows it was her, though Hollis insists there's no way it was possible. When Hollis looks to Gigi for confirmation, she's already gone, flagging a cab down no doubt, to go back to the house, grab her bag, and get out of there. Hollis tells the rest of the girls to go to the sailboat and that she and Gigi will meet them there. So for chapter 44, Hollis texts the group to have the boat go without her, but doesn't elaborate what's going on at home with Gigi. I am dying to know. The girls enjoyed the sailboat and it seems incredibly picturesque. Then we finally hear what happened between Drew Ann and Tatum all those years ago. Drew Ann made the bachelorette party nearly impossible for Tatum to attend. Bachelorette parties can get so expensive these days. I think it's crazy. So that is just a strike one for Drew Ann. The real nail in the coffin is when Tatum's pearls break at the actual wedding and Drew Ann says to her, that's what happens when you buy Kmart pearls. So bitchy and in Drew Ann's own words, classless. Thankfully, they finally have the heart to heart they need and Drew Ann apologizes and they make up. But let's be real. I was just dying to know what's going on between Gigi and Hollis during this chapter. Then in the next two chapters, Hollis confronts Gigi and Gigi tells her everything that they met in the Delta Lounge, that they've been traveling all over together, that she didn't know about Hollis until last May. And at that point, she was too in love to end things. Hollis lays into her and rightfully so. But Gigi still has something to reveal to Hollis that she's not saying and I need to know what it is. Could she be pregnant? (laughs) That's the only thing I can think of that would actually be really salacious or possibly even have a child already. Or did Matthew tell her something that Hollis doesn't know? We're getting so close to the end and I need to know how it all turns out. Finally, we find out that the secret that Gigi wanted to tell Hollis was that she called him the morning of his death. He was going to Paris to meet her for their Christmas, but when she called, he told her he wanted to work on his marriage and ended things with her and was canceling at the trip. Hollis looks at his death certificate and finds out that by the direction his car was heading, he was heading home. So Gigi is telling the truth. Personally, I don't know if that's better or worse for Hollis, but somehow it leaves her in the state of mind to let Gigi stay for the last night. While this is all hunky-dory for the sake of a rom-com, in no way, shape, or form is this happening in real life, despite how five-star you want a weekend to be, especially with the extent the affair went. With that being said, I do enjoy Gigi as a character, so I'm happy she gets to stay and the women decide the affair stays between them. Oh, and also, Druanne sees the influencers again that made the viral video and apologize, and they apologize and say they were wrong and for Druanne to check Twitter. I guess we were right. Phineas won the golf tournament, so it looks like Posey is coming out with the truth. And then we have the end of the book. Let's go woman by woman. Tatum is cancer-free, hallelujah. Drouanne gets all of her jobs back and a mighty apologies from all involved. In the epilogue, we learn that her and Nick are engaged. Brooke has come out as gay to most everyone in her life and in the epilogue even has a girlfriend, good for Brooke. Hollis sells her house in Wellesley and decides to live in Nantucket full-time. Though Jack still lives in Western Mass, they do start to slowly date. Caroline graduates from NYU and accepts a great job at Keep It Real Films in LA and all of the women and their significant others meet for an Italian cruise for a five-star reunion a year later, except for Gigi, who just so happens to be their pilot on their flight home. And that is the end of our book, you guys. This was a classic beach read. The characters were great. The setting was flawless. Ellen's descriptions of Nantucket were perfection. And as always, you felt like you were there. There were some good twists and interesting storylines. However, Don't get it twisted and think this is the best book ever. It really didn't do anything major for me. I did feel real emotion, however, when Tatum was cleared and her biopsy was negative and her and Hollis hugged. Loved that moment and did get mildly emotional. But other than that, this book for me was a purely simple, fun beach read that I hope you all enjoyed. I ended up giving it four stars, probably close to like 3.5, four stars, nothing, no, four four solid stars, not 3.5. It was super fun. I enjoyed it. But honestly, in my opinion, nothing to like really write home about. Um, I think a lot of you will agree. Ellen's books are just really, really fun for summer. I do think it's a must read for summer. But if you're not in that summer vibe, not one that you have to pick up. Um, But if you are into like fun characters, juicy plot lines, I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. And that is the end of today's podcast episode, the end of the June book club for the one woman book club podcast, part of your world in the five star weekend two really, really great romances. We're headed back into thriller territory next month with the only one left by Riley Sager. The first episode of that will be up on July 10th. And be sure to check out my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook to get the full reading schedule for that, but just read up to halfway point. Thank you all so, so much for listening. And I will talk to you all in the next episode. Have a great week, guys. Bye. morning everyone this is trevor van winkle and you're listening to homestead on the corner you are noisy your earth calling out into the airless <coughs>
1: transmitting
0: in the it's just not what i expected but i remembered not how you remember dear child nothing here has changed nothing here ever changes take us out of here maximum acceleration heading captain let's chase that horizon. Homestead on the Corner, a writing advice podcast and audio drama anthology from the creators of The Sheridan Tapes. Listen now on all podcasting platforms or at homesteadonthecorner.com.